This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I am Randy Frisch from Uberflip. I've always got by my side Tyler Lessard from Vidyard. And today we've got what's going to be a really fun podcast. And I say that because I actually got a, a sneak peek of the podcast that this guy is creating on his own. And it is so cool. It's kind of like, we'll talk about it, but it's it's a cross of like serial and, and Freakonomics, as he referred to it to us uh, earlier. And it's just so much fun. And you're just going to love the angle that Matthew Sweezy you know, takes to marketing in every sense. He's with Salesforce.com. He's also got a whole bunch of thought leadership stuff he does on his own. And that's the last time I'm going to refer to him as Matthew because, Tyler, maybe you can tell us more how, you know, what, is, what his street name is. Well, our good friend Sweezy, uh, which we're super excited to have on board with us today, and, and, and I've had the chance to, to know Sweezy for a few years now. And one of the things, in addition to creating content that I think, to your point, is, is super creative and interesting, um, is that you've always built a foundation in data and knowledge for as long as I've known you, going back to your Pardot days, your Salesforce days, and, and all the things that you've been doing. And it's something I've always really admired in your approach to, to marketing and then in what you do with respect to your thought leadership in the market. So um, why don't you just quickly introduce yourself and uh, you know let everybody know where you're coming from and, uh, and what you're up to. Cool. Well, thanks, guys, so much for the intro. Uh, yeah, everyone calls me Sweezy. That's my street name. And for those people that don't know, that is my biological last name. I get asked that all the time. Um, I'm just definitely not cool enough to make that up. Uh, but anyway, so what I've been doing is I'm principal of marketing insights over at Salesforce currently, um, and do a lot of speaking, research, writing. Uh, have a book coming out spring of next year. Um, but right now, I'm actually launching a podcast talking about some of those um, theoretical ideas. And and as Randy said, I kind of call it uh, just imagine if Serial and Freakonomics had a marketing baby. I mean, that's kind of kind of the angle. It's kind of fun. So, Sweezy, one of the things that I know you're, you know, passionate about is this sort of the the changing tides and trends in in marketing. I think both at a at a very micro level of how organizations kind of build and, and structure and think about their marketing practices, but also at a at a macro level and, and a global level of kind of what's happening uh, in a higher order in this world that we need to be thinking about today. That's going to change how we market two, three, five years from now. Um, and and you know, from from the glimpses that I've got, it seems like this podcast and some of the things you're focused on now tie back to some of those overall trends. Completely. Um, and one of the things that I had the good fortune uh, of being able to do is kind of 
have kind of a, a, a very high look at a lot of the world and how it's operating. Um, I get to work in, in the word marketing in my world is very broad. So I get to work with organizations like NATO and help them redefine kind of, uh, you know, their approach to, um, you know, defeating the radicalization of, of terrorism. Um, that's, you know, a propaganda or marketing um, from a military standpoint. And then from a business standpoint, you know, from the B2B side, how do we generate more leads? You know, the general thing. But when you really start pulling all of this back and you start saying, and this is kind of the way I like to think about it. We've always asked the question, how do we be better at marketing? And if you ask the question, how do you be better? You rely on the answers that you've always been given. Um, and then you do what we would call basic iterations on those ideas. But instead, if you ask the question, why are we doing this? Um, you get a very different answer. And the only reason why we should ever ask why are we doing this in the first place is because of some of the changes that are afoot inside of the world. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, think of, oh, of course, social media. Uh, and I'm, I'm a very big fan of Marshall McLuhan. Uh, and a lot of my thinking follows um, his lines of thinking and, and Harold Ennis, which was his professor, um, which is to say that media environments or the environment that we operate in dictates how everything works within that uh, in that's within that space. And so if you, you think about it that way, and yes, social media is important, but it's important. It, it doesn't matter what you tweet. What's important is the fact that everybody in the world has the ability to create, distribute, and can consume content with zero friction. We've, we've gotten to a place where these things are so normal that we've actually forgotten that that is a massive power. I mean, just think about this one thing, right? So think about media environments, and let me kind of give you a, a quick detail of one thing. So there is a guy back in the day, his name was uh, Gutenberg, right? And so Gutenberg creates this thing, and he doesn't necessarily create the printing press. He creates movable type for the printing press, which essentially allows books to be, to be printed at a very quick and rapid pace uh, because you can move the type around rather than having to hand carve an entire block. That one little invention that only changed the ability for media to be created more. It was still limited in who could create it. It was still limited in how that media was distributed to the world. And it was still limited in the total amount of media that existed in the world. But just that one little tiny change to the media environment, just allowing more media to be created, and even just slightly more, that is literally sided with taking the world out of the Dark Ages and into the Age of Enlightenment. And now you think about the change that's afoot now, right? If you go back 10 years to create media and distribute media, it was very hard, very costly. Uh, and now anyone in the world has the power to do that uh, is a vastly different environment that we live in. And what that then means is that it's not just that we have social media and we have to learn how to leverage social media with these old ideas. We have to take a step back and say, this actually changes the entire fluidity of the environment. This changes interactions between people. This changes humans' desires. This changes their idea of perception of how they're motivated, um, how they're persuaded. And then we need to take a fresh approach to marketing because of that. Um, so that's, that's kind of a long rant, but... Um, but yeah, so, so the, the larger view of what the word marketing means, that's kind of what I'm focused on at the moment. So I, I love that. I, I mean, that's, that's the Freakonomics side of this whole thing, of course. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, 
back to the serial side and and I had a little listen to some of the podcasts and it, it kind of goes back to this date as you were referring to, right? Where things change. Like maybe let's let's bring in this concept of when this change has happened and and how you saw, you know, maybe as as you're describing the ease of of publishing, the ease of reaching new audiences. When did that all start to happen in your mind? Yeah, so so the date what we're talking about is June 24th, 2009. Right, and so uh, first off, let's let's clarify two things. I want to make sure that everyone understands the difference between media environments and media eras. Right, when we shifted from analog to digital, we were shifting environments, not eras. And let me define eras real quick. And when you break media down, you really see that there are only two media eras. One media era was called the limited media era, and this was everything prior to June twenty fourth, two thousand and nine. And what limited media era means is that there are three key aspects to media, and they were all limited. And those three aspects are creation, distribution, and consumption. So to create media, you had to have capital to create media. Uh, it's you know digital digital creation of media and instant Snapchats and sending these things around are extremely new to the world, right? So if you go back any period of time, creating any form of media was highly expensive. Right, so it was very limited because you had to have the capital. Next was the distribution of that media. You had to go through a pre-existing distribution channel, which usually means you had to pay for that. You know, that's why the Hearst family is so wealthy, right? Because they created and owned that distribution channel for media. And then what that ended up with was a limited amount of media that could actually make it into the marketplace, right? So it was limited, limited, limited. Now, if you track all of that. And then you say, well, what happens? What's the opposite of limited? Well, it's unlimited. And so when you start to see this idea of consumer-generated media, and then you start separating out business-created or non-permissioned from permissioned. And permissioned media, specifically looking at text messages, looking at emails, and looking at notifications. And, and those are a very different type of media because those aren't created by businesses. Those are created by individuals or devices uh, they're permissioned, meaning that the audience is asking for them to be sent directly to them, and there are no bounds to the creation of these things, hence they become infinite in size and scale. And when you look at these two aspects of media and you put them together side by side, what you see is, first off, starting in 1900, moving forward, you see that we have non-permissioned media being generated by businesses. And as each new piece of technology enters the marketplace, the ability for more media to be created exists, right? So there was more media created after the invention of the television than there was when the television wasn't invented. Then we get to the internet. More media gets created overall. And then you start getting into consumer-generated media, this, this permission media of text messages, of emails, of notifications. And you start to see that number grow infinitely uh, and to scale. And where those two lines cross, where this idea of non-permission media coming from businesses, that was always the media that existed. It dominated because nothing else could, could exist. But then when you start seeing this trend of permission media and consumer-generated media, and you track where those two lines intersect, what you find is on June 24, 2009, consumer-generated or individual or permissioned media, however you want to classify this, becomes the largest factor of volume, meaning that the majority of all media that now exists in our environment is created by those people, right? Taking it away from the businesses, now taking control of, of the total volume. 
And then you look at the power of how powerful that media is in terms of motivation and persuasion. And you see that this consumer-generated media is much more powerful in terms of persuasion and motivation than non-permissioned or business-generated media. And just think very simply, you know, the current statistic is that you're more likely to survive an airplane crash than you are to click on a banner ad on a website. Now compare the power of permission or excuse me, the power of motivation from that non-permissioned form of media to a notification that pops up on your phone from your Fitbit telling you to take 10 more steps today to reach your goal. One is a, a extremely powerful motivator for an individual. And it has to do with the type of media that it is. And so that's really what that the the serial aspect of the podcast really focuses right. on that day. Yeah, I, this is fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are trying to figure out where that day came from. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I Googled it as I was listening to the podcast, and I'm like, I don't know. Nothing, nothing was invented that day. I mean, you know, but it, but I think your point is, is, is that this is where things have caught up to, right? You know, the inventions of, you know, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or all these other publishing platforms allow us to push, you know, as consumers and, you know, bringing this back into the content marketing world where a lot of our listeners are interested. I think this is what we're competing with now, right? This is, you know, we always hear about there's so much content out there. How do we break the clutter? We've now shifted to the point where we're not competing against media, to your point. We're actually competing against, as you put it, even devices now. Yeah, so this is a crazy thing. So Gartner predicts that by 2020, that there will be over 30 billion connected devices connected to the Internet of Things in the world. There are only 7 billion people, right? So I believe the math is what is, you know, 7 into 30 is what, 5? Am I correct on that? Yeah, that's, that's right, right? No, six, six times five is 30. Yeah, so 5.2. It's like 5.2. They'll be yeah, like it's five, all, all frozen there. Shit. Yeah, yeah we're marketers, not math people. So there'll be like 5.2 connected devices for every one human on the face of the planet in three years. They will become the largest creators of content in the world and will be for the rest of time. You know, that, that is a massively different environment that we're operating in. And we have to think about... Those devices, it's not just that they can create content. It's that they can consume other content from other people and other devices. They can then manipulate that with algorithms and then create artificial media, however you want to call or classify that, media that's augmented by a computer, and then publish that back out. And now that may come in forms of notifications, like you get a notification from your calendar that you have a meeting in 10 minutes. That may come in the form of Google telling you to take a different path to work. Uh, that can come in notifications from your Fitbit. And it's also then going to create this whole layer of a sub-media world that operates behind the scenes that are automations happening between things. So a lot of the decisions that we're normally making we won't even be making decisions in the future a lot of times. Those decisions will be made and automated by that data and that media that's behind the scenes being created and managed by devices. It's, it's a, so crazy. A little yeah, and it's about. happening already, right? I mean, like, Tyler, you, I don't know if your kids have this, I, but it's funny, like, you know, a, a year or so ago, I bought my kids a Sonos, right, for their, for their room, and they were so excited. Now they are so bored by the Sonos because they want the Google Home. 
right? Or, or like Amazon Echo equivalent type of thing. And like what they like about it is that it's listening to them and it's catering back this whole custom experience for them, which I think is very similar, Sweezy, to what, what you're getting at here is exactly that we're right. starting to expect yep. this, this fully responsive experience and I can't believe that the six Sonos players in my house are now garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the other things that I find super interesting about this idea and, and to sort of pull it into uh, what I think are, are potentially some practical implications for marketers and, and folks like us who are in software companies is that, you know, I think one of the, the fundamentals as to why, you know, permissioned media is, you know, is now dwarfing from an influence perspective on permissioned media um, is the fundamental point of trust. Right. So, you know, you're getting information from it used to be people that you trusted and you would put a lot more weight in that than getting it from a business where, again, you they have their own biases and incentives to try to convince you of something. But what's now even changing further, and I see this with my own kids, is building um, trust with applications and with software and with solutions, right? And that's kind of what you're talking about of, you know, if I tell my kids something, that's great, but they'll even trust even more if one of their apps tells them to do something to your point earlier, Matt, of, uh, you know, your Fitbit telling you to, you know, take 10 steps. Yeah. The influence in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what's super interesting to me as a marketer, and I think about, you know, even people using my product. So, you know, we have a a video platform and an administration console and all these great things, but as a marketer, you know, I think there can be so much power in those solutions, you know, to effectively talking and, and providing information and media and insights to our users, which to me is actually a form of marketing, right? It's like, hey, based on this, you should do this. Or have you considered this? Or here's an idea for this. Yeah, exactly and, right. Exactly yeah, right. And, and like as a marketer, traditionally, we haven't thought about that. It's always pre-sale, you know, how do we go out there? But, but how can we, you know, sort of foster those relationships? And, build that trust, right? You're, you're, you're nailing it on the head. So, I mean, if you think about it this way, in the limited media era, we were trained as marketers to push messages. And it was very effective for a couple of basic reasons. One, there was no way for anybody else to create a competing narrative because we were the only ones that could create media and scale it and distribute it. That was it, right? We had no competition. As soon as we started to get competition, people have the ability to decide what they want. And so all of the ideas that we were trained for, right? Like the idea of there is no such thing as bad press because all that matters is that somebody hears your name and the next time they hear your name, they're not likely to remember the context of why but they're likely to remember it, hence trust it more. That, right, that's the whole psychological aspect of there is no such thing as bad press. But let me give you a really quick example. Let's say that you find out about some hot new restaurant your friend tells you about. So, All right, let's play this scenario out. I want to go check out this hot new restaurant. Tyler, what's the next step I take? You Yelp, Yelp yeah. it. I got to Yelp it or get directions. I got to figure out how to get to this place. And so when you get there, then you are confronted with all that bad news and you instantly make, you choose a different decision, right? So it's, there is no escaping that bad news. That old idea doesn't play anymore. And what we see is that in the infinite era, all the, and, and let me take one step back because there is so much media, consumers have to rely on algorithms to filter it for them. I mean, you already saw this when you have an email filter, right? Filtering out spam and you have Gmail setting up different boxes automatically for you. The same thing in your social news feeds, as well as every other thing in the world is moving to a dynamic engagement platform. Now, here's why that's important. It's because those messages that we're trained to put out 
Nobody wants them in the first place. Doc Searles, in one of my favorite books, Clue Train Manifesto, says there is no demand for messages. There never was, right? And so those things are now filtered out because those algorithms know those messages will not get engaged with. And so you can't even make it organically into feeds anymore based on that mentality. And what it moves us from is pushing messages to creating these experiences, just like you said, Tyler. It's like when somebody comes in the app, they, they, they don't just want an app. They want something that you know, helps them out, that actually fulfills their goals. And we need to think about that in an entirely new way, right? My, marketing is now about creating and fulfilling experiences, not just pushing messages. And that's kind of one of the big, big points. I feel, I feel like we saw so somewhat have to revolt and we're going to take a 30 second break here because I'm going to revolt and like, like your Yelp example, even though my wife told me this morning, she's like, I hate Rotten Tomatoes. It ruins every movie for me that I want to see. I'm just going to book one of these movies. So we'll take a 30 second break. We'll give you some unpermissioned media in here and then we'll be back with Sweezy for more. Hey Zoe. Hey Kelly, do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. Well, hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip, it lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing, how do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. Well, welcome back, everybody. Now, Sweezy, I want to talk about um, kind of how we can bring some of the, the 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 ideas and the theories from the first part of this podcast into practice in in modern organizations and in content marketing organizations. Now, I don't expect you to have a silver bullet here, but um, what are your thoughts in terms of how to take some of these notions of the power of permissioned media, the power of of, of social, and the power of device generated content, um, you know, into practice in an organization? What what should we be thinking about in our content marketing and digital strategies um, in terms of implications from this shift in, in what people are doing? Yeah, I, the easiest, the most simple and most easiest way is just to think differently. Let me give you some practical examples of what I mean. We're traditionally trained to think of content as what we create and what we push out. But what we fail to realize is so many of the times what people really want is to be engaged with when they're on social media. So the reason a lot of us go to social media is to fulfill a lot of inner you know, psychological desires, such as belonging, um, to be part of a community, to, to you know, self-expression, societal validation. And so they put these things up online. People don't publish stuff because they want to be publishers. And so if we take a different look at content marketing and say, rather than me constantly producing media, what if I look at my audience and look at all the content that my audience has created? And what if I simply go and like a post or like a comment or at mention somebody in something? Take two steps back and think what that does for you. One, you don't have to spend any time creating a massive asset. Two, it actually validates that person's purpose for being on social media in the first place, right? If they post something, they're looking for validation for whatever that means for them in their lives. They're looking at being part of a community. So if you help fulfill those things, you actually are connecting to that human desire of why they're doing that in the first place. And this is a very Bernaysian idea. Uh, by the way, Bernays is Edward Bernays, the man that started uh, public relations, and you'll find out about that in the podcast. But anyways, it, that's one of the major ideas. Now, the second aspect of this is think about what that media channel then does with the engagement that you give it. 
right? So you give this media channel, let's just say it's Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, and all you do is simply like something. When you like something, that platform sees that as a major sign of engagement, and they take it so far that they notify that individual that there's been engagement with their media. Now, you instantly get directly into that person's brain, into that person's engagement, into that person's world, in a positive way that they are asking for. They didn't ask for you to engage with them. They're not asking for you to try to sell them things. They're just asking to be validated. And simply by doing those things, you can then start engaging. Um, and there's another great way to then use this if you want to think even more tactfully on this one. It's inside of blog posts. Let's say that somebody writes a blog post. It doesn't matter who it is. Right, but you have that blog comment section. Think about at mentioning and bringing people into those conversations and asking questions to people based on these things. Mark Schaefer has got a great blog post about this. Um, he actually worked with AT&T and taught them how to do some of these. And, and now, this is kind of a world blending uh, the idea of content marketing, social selling, modern media, and permission media all together. But he worked with AT&T and helped teach some of their sales teams about how to do these exact tactics and saying, rather than you just publishing all this content all the time, take a piece of content that you've already created, have some questions that you want to ask your audience, and then ask directly to them in the blog comments at the bottom. Right? So now you're actually getting that piece of content directly to the individual you want it to go to. Because now that you at mention them, it pops it up in their social media feed via the notifications, via email if they have the email turned on. And it's not something coming from you. It's coming from a channel they already trust. It is now permissioned media. Um, and then that has a completely different approach, a completely different dialogue, and a completely different type of engagement. I, I think in, in, uh, in Schaefer's blog, I think he, they show that uh, AT&T used this strategy, and I think they drove over $40 million of business um, by using this one special technique. And what do you see as the, the, the in terms of the evolution of the, the, the types of content and media that people are creating or what you think is going to be successful in this new era of, um, of, of media? And, you know, we go back and, and you talked about, you know, businesses and you did TV commercials, billboard ads, and then we moved into this world where marketing organizations were doing display ads and, um, you know, things getting a little bit visual, but then we go into blog posts and kind of the inbound marketing methodology. And, you know, in this new world, does the, does the type of media really matter um, and is it changing or is that a moot point and it's just it's really more about the the types of engagement and um, you know the other things that we think about when connecting with people your last one is the correct correct answer it, it, the the medium is is not what's important uh, it will it, <laughs> The medium is extremely important, right? Because the medium then dictates the environments and what we can do within those things. But it doesn't matter which medium you use. It depends on how you use that medium to fulfill the desires of the individuals. Um, and so, you, you know, you can think of anything, right? Direct mail is still a phenomenal piece or a phenomenal medium when used correctly to provide the correct experience to individuals. Um, so I was, you know, I did a webinar, uh, I guess it was yesterday or two days ago for Pardot on ABM, talking about this idea of when you're sending, if you want to break into an account, you know, people still love to get mail, like actual packages. We all love presents, you know, and you can use that technique. I used to use it back in the day. I, mem I remember trying to get a job and made my own content marketing program for myself and sent that out. And I sent out, you know, 10 direct mail pieces and had five CEOs pick up the phone and call my cell phone. Like they literally called me back 
You know, that's, that doesn't happen all the time, but it's possible via direct mail because I did it, um, right? So the point is, it's like the medium isn't as important as how you use that medium. Uh, and then knowing how to use them correctly, I, I think is the key. And, and that really has to do with the mental shift of don't thinking of, it's about what we push out to the world. Think about it's us working in combination with the world. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and, and it's it's funny though as you talk about this permissioned world, but yet some of the old tactics almost seem to be having a renaissance within there, right? Because you, know, you talk about sending out direct mail, and I I'm amazed at the number of marketers that are starting to turn back to direct mail, obviously in a much more catered way. So that I I guess the idea is that the you know unpermissioned stuff you're sending feels more permission because it it truly is is connecting is that the idea uh it, that one doesn't necessarily follow the non-permission permission right so you know sending somebody a completely cold package without any context to the individual is not what i was referring to so let me give you a quick example so any of those times i sent packages to people it wasn't the same package it was the same theme but each one was highly targeted to an individual based on i would do research on the individual i mean it would be highly 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 targeted to that person um, which would then make it contextual to that individual it's still not permission because they didn't ask me to send it um, but they weren't unhappy that I sent it to them. And I think that's the big key difference is that too many of times non-permission media doesn't work because people don't care about it. It's not talking or engaging them. It's, it's talking at them, not with them or having a conversation or even starting a conversation. Um, so as long as you e even use those non-permission methodologies, to start conversations or to help fulfill things. You can still really be creative. And I think that's exactly right. You start getting into all these, you know, we've got to find ways to be creative and break through and bringing, nothing ever dies in the marketing world. We all say it does because it makes great headlines, but nothing really dies. It just kind of gets diminished. And then we fresh it back and bring it out and we try new techniques and, and they all kind of work in conjunction. But the main idea is just the mentality of we have to stop thinking about pushing messages and really see content and content marketing as creating experiences for people, not ways to push messages. Well, I, you're preaching to the right guy on that. I mean, yeah, the idea of creating these great experiences is something that I talk about all the all the time at my company on a day to day basis. And it's it's interesting. I mean, this whole talk has been interesting, and I'm going to shift a bit, but kind of stay on topic because the last couple of minutes here, we always like to get to know our guests a little outside of work. And you know, it's funny. I started digging around a bit on you leading up to the podcast. One of the oh, fun no. things I was able to do, I was actually able to find your first tweet ever. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone to this site. It's a fun one. I use it from time to time on this show. Uh, you go to just discover.twitter.com first tweet. It's, it's a ton of fun. And so your first tweet, interesting, prior to June 24th, 2009, was you saying on March 14th, 2008, that you were just getting your blog off the ground and figuring out how my control panel works on my website. Right, uh, which I thought was really funny and actually tied back to everything we're talking about today. You're like, all right, I'm going to now start creating my own content here. Um, I, I'm curious. I mean, where else? How are you doing this today? Like, what are you doing yourself for your own personal brand, for who you are, for how you interact? Like, how can people find the latest stuff that you're putting out there these days? Like, what's your medium? 
Yeah, mostly I use Twitter as a central repository or distribution method for most of my stuff. I have a blog, um, but it's not really a blog. It's more or less where I post essays that nobody else will really publish, whether I want to get too use too foul of a language or take on a topic that nobody really wants to to feature because it doesn't really hit anything. Um, so that's where I you know, post essays like, is advertising evil at its core? And actually track advertising all the way back to its actual inception. And this is a very interesting fact, but would you believe that the first presidential debate to actually use mass advertising was the Andrew Jackson campaign? And he used mass advertising and won by a landslide, even as the dark horse candidate, because he was the first to use mass advertising, i.e. he went and used flyers through mail. So he was the first one to use direct mail at a large scale um, to win a presidential campaign. Here's the tricky part. The first advertising agency doesn't open up in the United States for another 20 years. So where does Andrew Jackson get the idea for mass advertising. And then I have a whole conspiracy theory that the Rothschilds taught him the idea so that he would, you know, dismantle the bank and so they can then start us another war, make another $500 billion. But whatever, it's conspiracy theories, but whatever. <laughs> well, that's the Freakonomics in you, right? And, yeah. and I think that's why everyone's going to love this podcast uh, and all the other content you got coming. I don't think we actually uh, mentioned the name of the podcast. Maybe you can let oh, yeah. know when it's going live, where they can find it, and uh, you know how, how many episodes that we should expect out of the gate. Yeah, so there'll be three episodes right out of the gate. It's called the Electronic Propaganda Society. Uh, and it is going to be, I'm going to host it on SoundCloud, but it will be available on iTunes. Um, and so if you guys just, you know, follow along the Twitter handle, I'll let you know when it comes out. But it'll be coming out in the mid of June, um, sometime like around the, the mid time of June. Well, Susie, this has been a blast. If, if people want to follow you, uh, you know, they can find your first tweet and all the other ones at M Sweezy. Um, and uh, I encourage them when they're you know, looking up Content Pros Podcast uh, to find as well your podcast at the same time as they get in there and, and download it. Like I said, I, Tyler and I both had a listen and, and we, were, we were entertained. So, And I think, as, as you said, that's, that's what we got to do as marketers. We got to create these great experiences, get people thinking. And, and break through the clutter and you're definitely doing that as a marketer so you know kudos to you man uh you know on behalf of tyler at vidyard again i'm randy frisch at uberflip this has been the content pros podcast you can find all of our other episodes also at contentprospodcast.com this is part of the convince and convert network of podcasts convince and convert is also doing a whole bunch of other great stuff to help educate you on content marketing, including the contentmarketingclass.com site where Jay Bear can help you kind of elevate your game in, in content marketing with a lot of the, the forward-thinking ideas to how to raise your marketing efforts overall. Matt, thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you again in the near future. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.